We're going to be in the book of Philemon this morning. We've been uh, kind of taking a little detour from our journey through the gospel of Mark over the holidays, and, and I want to look at a, really a case history in Philemon of someone that I think brings great encouragement to us as believers about what Christ can do in a person's life and do in our relationships. So we're going to be in Philemon. That's the, one of the smallest books of the Bible right before you get to Hebrews. And uh, if you'd be finding that. Again, good to see you. Good to have guests with us. Hope you've had a, a Christ-centered uh, holiday season thus far. It's not without um, challenges, obviously. I'm looking around this room. I was thinking about this during the song service. People who've lost loved ones. Uh, people who've lost people just recently. And then uh, and some throughout the year. I don't know of a time that I can ever remember uh, as a pastor, when we've had so many people in our church who've lost someone close to them, if not in their immediate family, at least in their family or close friends, and it's just been a challenging year. Um, but again, God's grace is sufficient, and we thank the Lord for that, and we trust Him uh, for that. And so, um, Philemon, if you found that, please stand with us for the reading of the Word of God. One of the things that makes the book of Philemon unique is not just the fact that it's one of the shortest uh, books in the Bible, just uh, 25 verses, but also it was, uh, it was a, an epistle, a letter that was not written to a church, although a church is mentioned in it, a church in Colossae, but it was written to an individual, Philemon, and it was written for a specific purpose, and that is to reconcile uh, Philemon to a man by the name of uh, Onesimus, who had left Philemon, and Paul is going to bring them back together. And so it's a very interesting thing about the way Christ works in our life. And um, let's look, look first of all in Philemon 1, uh, verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. So it tells you about the relationship that Paul has with Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Now let's skip down to verse 8 and we're going to see the, the subject, the, the primary purpose of this letter. Wherefore, verse 8, wherefore though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee. We'll go over these verses again in a little bit. Being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now when Paul speaks about him being in bonds, he's talking about he was in prison, this time in Rome. And, and he says, this Onesimus, Paul refers to him as my son, whom I've begotten in my bond. This is a man that Paul was able to lead to Christ, to share the gospel and see him saved. Then he says, verse 11, which in time past, talking about Onesimus, was to thee, to Philemon, unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, again referring to Onesimus, thou therefore 
receive him, that is, mine own bowels, someone dear to me in my own heart. So we're going to talk about this man, Onesimus, talk about his estrangement, separation from Philemon, and the, the possibility of them being reunited. And, and one of the things that stands out to me in verse 11, where he, Paul describes this man, he says, he was in time past, was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, which speaks about what a change that has taken place in Onesimus' life. At once he was unprofitable, now he is profitable. And let's pray as we get into the scripture together. Father, thank you for your precious word today. We open it with respect for the holy word of God that it is. And with anticipation that through reading and studying your word that we can grow in grace, become more of what you'd have us to be. And Father, I pray today if there are those in this room that have never truly been born again, that today we could see the hope and the power of a changed life that comes through the gospel. We'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. But you may be seated. You know, the thing that stands out first of all to me in this passage is this Onesimus really was a changed man. This is how Paul described him. The words of the apostle who knew him well, who was instrumental in him coming to know the Lord, he was unprofitable to Philemon, but now he is profitable. Not only, it says in verse 11, to thee, to Philemon, and to me. To me, Onesimus is like a, one of these before and after pictures. You see these sometimes people post them. You know, I've got a friend uh, down in Springfield who's, I don't know, lost about 70 pounds or something like that, a preacher friend of mine, and posts these before and after pictures. You know, he, this is what he me for that sound mess up. So, th so this is what Onesimus was. So let's just let's kind of fill in some uh, space on the backstory concerning him and their past relationship and really the, the purpose of this epistle. So at one time, Onesimus was a servant, literally a slave, to Philemon. So Paul is writing to the master, Philemon, that Onesimus once served. Now, we, we have strong feelings about slavery, but it was a very common practice in the Bible days, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. As a matter of fact, uh, two different sources that I looked to said that during, in the Roman Empire, there were as many as 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Onesimus was one of them. Now, just for the record, in case you're wondering, nowhere does the Bible condone or encourage slavery. But slavery was a part of the world. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, there's instructions for how servants and masters were to treat each other. And if you've read the Bible, you're familiar with that. You see that as believers, how that a master should treat his servant and how servants should look to his master. So Onesimus, who was a slave in Colossae, which is now presently where Turkey is, and Onesimus was a slave, but he ran away. 
And it's possible from the text, not definite, but possible that he didn't just run away from his master, but he actually may have taken things that didn't belong to him. And you can find that and see that in the scripture, at least where we might get. Now this is, imagine this, he runs away from his master and he ends up in Rome where Paul is. That's a thousand miles away. So he's a free from his, he's free from his master. He's free from slavery. He's a thousand miles from home. And somehow, not by chance, but by the providence of God, he meets Paul. Paul is under house arrest. Paul is in prison. But he has freedom under house arrest to entertain guests. People would come to him and he could teach them through the day. And that's the setting. And somehow through that, Paul met Onesimus. And as Paul would, obviously, he gave him the gospel. He gave him, we don't know the details of that. We don't need to know the details of that. But, but through the direct influence of Paul, he was saved. He was one to Christ. And uh, notice the, uh, the language in verse 10. We read it a moment ago in Philemon. Paul is writing to uh, uh, Philemon, and he says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten, in my bonds. And so, so he gets saved. So here, here the Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, is now converted to Christ. Now, stay with me this morning and think about this, because when anybody gets saved, things change. If they don't change, a person, I'm, in my estimation, a church person doesn't get saved, if there's not some change in their life. And so he gets saved. And let's just think with me for a moment. Put yourself in Onesimus' shoes. You're a thousand miles from where you were. You've been on the run. And by the way, being on the run, uh, if you read about the, some of the behavior of slave owners and masters in that day, they actually put people out on a list. If I, this person has run away, people will be looking for them. So he's, he's like a fugitive. But he gets converted. Now, what, how is he going to deal with all this, you know? Uh, how is this going to impact his life? And I think it's always important to keep this in mind. No one is expected to right all the wrongs in their life in order to be saved. We don't get saved by righting all the wrongs in our life. But once you get saved, everything becomes an issue that you want to make right. So what's he, here's the question. Would Onesimus continue to run and be a fugitive or would he go back to Colossae and submit himself unto his master? What would you do? What would you do if you were a thousand miles away from the man who owns you basically and you're not only free, but now you're a new creature. You're saved. You're forgiven. What would you do? And that's a challenge. You know, per, many people, even people maybe sitting in this room say, well, I would never go back to that. Right? I would never go submit myself to Philemon as I once was. And we don't, I don't think Philemon was a harsh taskmaster because we know this, and we'll mention this again in a moment, he was a sincere believer himself. He was a 
genuine follower of Christ. So could, could, could you get away with this? Could Onesimus get away with this? That it, with a clear conscience, even though I ran away from Philemon and probably stole things from him when I ran away from him, would my conscience allow me to continue to live as a free man and not go back to Philemon? Are you with me? Now, I'm not going to take a survey or a poll, but I'd like for you to think about in your mind how you might treat this situation. And one of the reasons I like this passage is because um, this clearly indicates to me the way a, a Christian's perspective changes when they get saved. When they truly get, when a person genuinely gets saved, they want the things in their life to be pleasing to God. And that doesn't mean that we can remove maybe all the scars and the regrets of our past life, but it does mean if there are things that we've done wrong that we can make right, we ought to consider making those things right. Does that make sense to you? And that's exactly the deal that Onesimus is having to deal with. Now here's what he decided to do. He decides that he's going to return to Colossae. And he's going to face his master, Philemon. And the reason Paul writes this letter, and by the way, look at the very end of the letter, the book of Philemon. The very end of it, after the 25th verse, it says, written from Rome, that's where Paul was in prison, written from Rome to Philemon by Onesimus, a servant. Onesimus actually delivered this letter back to Paul in Rome. So Paul is sending this letter, encouraging Philemon to receive him as a new man. Look in verse 12. Referring again to Onesimus, who was at one time unprofitable, but now profitable, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore, notice the next two words, receive him. Receive Onesimus, that is, mine own bowels, someone coming from my own heart. Now again, he acknowledges in verse 11, at one time, Onesimus was unprofitable. By the way, um, that word means exactly what you would think it means. If you look that up in some Bible dictionary, it says it's, it means useless. He was useless. He was unprofitable. But now he is profitable. He's not the same person. By the way, when a person gets saved, they're not the same person. Their lives are changed. They become new creatures in Christ. So he was not only, look in verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Onesimus has been, is now a help. He's a helper. He's an assistant some way to the Apostle Paul where he's in house arrest. By the way, just another interesting detail to me, if you were to take a, a Bible dictionary and look up the name Onesimus, the word means profitable, interestingly enough. He's now living up to what his name is. He's now, he's now, now that he's saved, he's becoming what God wants him to be. And what enabled all that? It was all, all related to his conversion. 
to him coming to Christ. Paul wanted to keep Onesimus. Look in verse 13, it says, whom I have, whom I would have retained with me. He's writing this letter to Philemon. I would have kept him. I would have retained him with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me, served me in the bonds of the gospel. So Onesimus is serving Paul and serving the Lord. He's proving, he's proving that he can be helpful. He's proving that he can be useful to Paul. Hold your finger right here if you would in Philemon and turn to the left a few books, maybe about 20 pages or so in your Bible, to the book of Colossians. I said earlier that Philemon um, was from Colossae, and we're not going to dig into all that this morning, but look in Colossians chapter 4 as Paul is writing this epistle to the church that was meeting in a house there in Colossae. Again, Colossae, where we would now recognize as Turkey. But look in Colossians chapter 4, if you would please, in verse 7. As he's writing this epistle, he says this, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and servant, our fellow servant, excuse me, in the Lord. Tychicus is delivering this letter whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, he's also with him delivering this letter. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So again, you see now that Onesimus is not only a runaway slave, he's a runaway slave that has gotten converted and he's a, runaway, he's a converted slave who is a blessing and a help and a use to the Apostle Paul. Again, I say this is sort of a before and after picture of this man Onesimus. And Paul would have kept him. He would have kept him, but he could not because he was another man's servant. And so he's writing. Let's go back to Philemon. He's writing, encouraging Philemon to receive him. Look in verse 12. Just Quickly notice these, these re, this, uh, different uses of the phrase to receive him. Verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. Look in verse 15. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, Philemon, receive him. That's all Paul was writing to this whole purpose this letter was that Philemon would receive Onesimus, that he would receive him. And uh, Paul could have, and I'm going to show, we see this together in a moment in the scripture, but Paul was an apostle. And as apostle, he, had, he was given a lot of authority. Uh, he, he had placed pastors in churches. He, the Lord used him to start many churches and send out different people. He had apostolic authority. With that authority, he could have told Philemon, not not encouraged him and treating him as he was he could have he could have commanded him or told him look at this we see this in verse 9 or verse 8 excuse me Philemon verse 8 wherefore he says though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient I could have just told you you've got to take Onesimus in and you've got to restore him he said I could have done that Verse 9, yet for love's sake, 
I rather beseech thee. I'm entreating you. I'm pleading with you. I'm presenting my case. Being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee, in verse 10, for my son Onesimus. So Onesimus is going home. Now again, I think it's good when you read the Bible to try to put yourself in the place of those that are the Bible's writing about. And here's what I'd like for you to think about for a moment. For Onesimus to leave Rome and travel a thousand miles to Colossae to face the man that he had run away from would not be an easy thing to do. Can you see that? That would not be an easy thing to do. But it's the right thing to do. And sometimes there are things that we need to do that aren't easy things to do, but they're right things to do, to make things right. And that's exactly what Onesimus has decided to do, and I think Paul has encouraged him to do. Notice how Paul asks Philemon to receive him. Look in verse 15, he says, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Then look at verse 16, not now as a servant, not just as a worker, as a slave, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me. He wanted, Paul wanted Philemon to give Onesimus a second chance. He wanted to welcome him back. And this is, this is Philemon's, this is, excuse me, Onesimus' opportunity to start over again by making things right in his life. But also, this is an opportunity for Philemon to do the right thing. I mean, he could be angry with Onesimus. He could be bitter with Onesimus. You know, we ought to look at, I'm looking at it from Onesimus' point of view. This is not going to be an easy thing for me to do. I'm looking at it from Philemon's point of view, and it's not going to be a natural thing for him to do. To welcome home and receive a man who probably stole from him and certainly ran away from him. Now, Philemon, as we know, is a Christian. He's a servant in the church. Paul, verse 1, we read that a moment ago. If you look in Philemon 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, notice this, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. This was a serious Christian. I think all Christians should be serious about their faith, but this, this man is a devoted Christian, and Paul loved him. Paul writes, look in verse 5, Paul writes about Philemon's spirituality, and he says, Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. He said, I'm right, he's writing to him not just as a slave owner, but he's writing to him as a strong Christian. And saying, I want you to receive. I'm asking you, I'm entreating thee, I'm beseeching you to receive him. And by the way, Paul, being the optimistic person that he was, Paul was confident that Philemon would receive him. Look in verse 21 of Philemon. Paul says to him, 
having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. He said, I'm confident you're not just going to receive him, but you're going to receive him even in a better way than I'm even asking you to. So, so how, how, how is it going to happen? How's, how's uh, Philemon going to receive him? You know, this is a, this, uh, him, the loss for Philemon, the loss of Onesimus, was a serious matter. It impacted his life. By the way, and I've just recently reread some of these details, but slaves who ran away and were found and were brought back to their master were sometimes killed. And if not killed, they were, could be beaten. They, all kinds of things could happen because of the serious crime that they had committed. Now, that's what, that's what could have happened. But Paul was confident that Philemon would not treat him this way. But how would he? As a Christian. You know, what if you had someone that really wronged you? Maybe they stole something from you. Maybe not a possession, but maybe they stole something else from you. Maybe they brought harm to you. Maybe they damaged you. What if someone hurt you? And as Christians, we look at things like that different than lost people do. We, have, we look at it different because we look at it as the way Christ would have us to look at it. So how would Philemon do this? His, his life has been impacted. And what Philemon does when Onesimus comes home is going to affect a lot of people. It's going to affect Philemon because he's a Christian. What if he doesn't do the right thing? As a Christian, you can't just disobey without consequences. So what if he doesn't do the right thing? It's going to affect his life. If he doesn't receive him, it's going to affect Onesimus' life. Philemon was very active in the church at Colossae. If he, if he does the wrong thing, it's going, to, it's going to be seen as an example to other people for the way he does things. And so, to me, I, 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 I've been thinking about this uh, passage, this book, this letter, and these two people, Philemon, who owned this slave, who was, who was really wronged, and Onesimus, who ran away and then got converted and wanted to make it right. And I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking about a couple of things. One thing I'm thinking about is how the gospel changes people's lives. It changes people's lives. I say it again because it just I want to be so clear about this. People misunderstand this. You don't have to change your life to be saved because you can't change your life enough to please the Lord that he would save you. But when you get saved, he becomes your Lord and master. And he's going to, he's going to influence the way we look at things. He's going to influence our perspective. And I, I wouldn't do this today as far as asking for a response, but I know there are people in this room, and I'm one of them, 
that after I got saved, I wasn't thinking about, when I got saved, I wasn't thinking about making things right in my life. I just needed a Savior. I wanted to be saved. But I'm telling you, God began to immediately show us things that we needed to do differently. And even people that I needed to go to and say, I'm sorry for doing this or doing that. I didn't do that in order to be saved, but when I got saved, I wanted to make things right with people. Some of you have heard me tell this before, but one of the things I did, I don't know how long it was after I got saved, but I I had to write a long, sincere letter to my father-in-law, to my wife's dad, and just sincerely apologize to him for the way I'd treated his family, the way I'd treated his daughter. I didn't do that to earn points with him. I did it because I knew it was the right thing to do as a Christian. Jesus changes us when we get saved. The gospel changes people. And I don't mean just changes on the outside. He changes us on the inside. We we have a new nature. The heart of a Christian is, is a heart that's been changed by the grace of God. But that internal change will affect our outside life, our relationships, and and the way we think about things. And Paul had seen this in Onesimus. I guarantee you, this Onesimus wasn't just a man who Paul met, and he received Christ, and Paul wrote this letter to commend him to Philemon and urge Philemon to receive him. Paul had watched this man's life change right before his eyes. And he said, this is a new man. He was, he was, yes, he was unprofitable, but now he's profitable. Not just profitable to me, but profitable to you also. When a person gets saved, things change. Our attitudes change. Things that we once did without even thinking about it. I mean, I, you know, I hate to say this, but before I got saved, I, I would lie to people. I'd lie to my wife. I don't lie to her near as much as I used to. <laughs> I'd lie to my mother. I'd lie to anybody. I didn't try to be a liar. I was a liar. I was lost. Lost people act like lost people, but when a person gets saved, they're changed. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means there's, we've, been, we've been given a new nature. He's changed our lives. We know many examples of this. Paul is the greatest example maybe of all. Paul was a persecutor of Christians until he got saved and he became a lover of Christians. You know, it's, John the Beloved said this, by this we know we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. You know, one of the ways I know I'm saved, I love God's people. I don't have to work at it. It's just a part of who we are as Christians. Aren't you glad for how the gospel changes people. There are many examples of this in this room. Genuine examples of conversion. But what about you today? Has the gospel changed you? Has Jesus Christ changed your life? Has he made a real difference in your life? When we get saved, it changes us. It changes us. There's nowhere in the Bible, read your Bible, read it much, read it often, read it through and through and try to prove me wrong. There's nothing in the Bible that even suggests that a person can be saved and continue to think and act 
like they did before they got saved. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. So one of the things that just leaps out at me in this passage is how the gospel changes people. But here's the final thing that I want to mention that really stands out to me. And that's how a fresh start is possible for anybody. Onesimus went to Rome a useless person, but he became a new man. Our past doesn't have to define our future. Aren't you glad about that today? I mean, in so many ways, before we were saved, we were unprofitable. Yeah, I had fun as a sinner. I thought I was having fun. I provided for my family, but I wasn't, I wasn't the profitable, useful person in God's work that I could be. But God in his grace changed our life. And you may be sitting here today thinking, you know, I don't know that my life is all that profitable. Maybe you've made similar mistakes. Onesimus had made some serious mistakes. Whatever you think about slavery, that's not the issue. Onesimus had made some serious mistakes. But because a person has been unprofitable for a period of time does not mean they can never be profitable. It doesn't mean that. With God's help, all of us can change. All of us can be better. I'm, I'm thinking about the new year, of course, and thinking about making decisions and plans and, and commitments to make the new year a better year. Nobody told us what 2020 was going to be like. Nobody warned us, right? And for some of us, it's affected us a lot more than others, I think. But we've had many opportunities this year to be discouraged, to be disappointed, some physically, some emotionally, some spiritually, some financially, some real setbacks. But this can be an opportunity for a fresh start. You know, I was reading um, an article recently about someone that I've admired since I was a child, uh, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, of course, was a great inventor. And uh, our family, all of our children are here in the room today. Josh and his family's here with us. But our family once visited his winter home in southern Florida. I don't know who went with us. I can't keep up with who went on what trips. Some kids went on some trips. Our funnest trips was when none of the kids went. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Thomas Edison invented the microphone, the microphone, not this particular one. The phonograph, the record player, invented the incandescent lights, not the LEDs. He invented the storage battery. He invented talking movies. He invented a thousand, literally a thousand other things. But I was reading this story that happened in December of 1914. He had been working for 10 years on the storage battery, trying to create a battery that could store energy. That project had strained his finances. And one night, 
spontaneous combustion broke out in the film room. Fire broke out in his, in his shop. And within minutes, everything was in flames. Fire, fire departments from eight different towns came, but there was nothing they could do. Everything was destroyed. He was 67 years old. All of his assets were gone. The damage exceeded $2 million in 1914. Edison had a son, Charles, who was 24 at the time. Searched and searched till he found his dad, and he said he found his dad just calmly watching the fire. And his son, Charles, said, my heart ached for him. The next morning, Edison surveyed the ruins and said this, there is great value in disaster. All of our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Three weeks after the fire, he managed to deliver the first phonograph. The point is, tough times are often opportunities to start over. Not to stay in a rut, not to stay where we are. We can start over. Onesimus had a checkered past. He was a runaway, perhaps a thief. But through faith and through humility and through the power of a changed life, he changed his story. He rewrote his life story. He became profitable. Not just profitable to Philemon, but Onesimus became profitable to the man who gave us most of our New Testament. To the, to the greatest pioneer in missionary evangelism that ever lived. He became a new person. And I just want to say this, as simple and direct as I know how to say it, it's never too late to start over. I didn't coin this phrase, but I believe in it. Today is the, really is the first day of the rest of your life. And we, especially at this time of the year, we ought to look at our lives and say, is this the, really the way I want to live the rest of my life? Is, some, is there something more that God would do in my life? Is there a way that God could make me more profitable to my family? more profitable to him and his work. And for some, that means getting saved. That's where, it's, that's where it started for Onesimus. And that's where it can start for you. This is not true of everybody in this room, maybe, but that's where it started for me. Everything changed when I got saved. Aren't you glad for conversion? For what it does in our, what it means, not just to us individually, not just our peace of mind, not just our eternal destiny, but what it means to those around us, our friends, our family, people that we know. It starts with salvation. The greatest thing you could ever do is receive Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the payment for your sins that you could be saved. What a difference salvation makes. But there's a second word that I'll just mention. Not only do we need 
salvation, but we need to be surrendered to God, to God's will. Think, think today about the challenge for you if you were Onesimus and you were a thousand miles, a thousand miles today is a long ways, but a thousand miles in New Testament time was a long way from, long way from his master, a long way from slavery. What would make him go all that distance back and face his master? Because he was surrendered to what he knew God wanted him to do. It'd be very easy in, the, in our flesh to say, I'm never going to do that. God wouldn't want me to do that. But you know what? God did want him to do that. And he did it by the grace of God. And how God used it is an amazing thing. So two things, salvation, really trusting Christ, really knowing you're born again. And the second thing, humbly surrendering, submitting to whatever God wants for your life will make all the difference in the world. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. With our heads bowed today, do you know the Lord? Has he changed your life? Has Christ changed your life? If not today, why wouldn't you come to him? What would keep you from coming to Christ? You ought to come to him today. Right where you sit, you could ask him, Lord, save me. I, I don't want to die in my sin. I, want to be, I don't want to keep living my own life. I want you in my life. I know I'm guilty, but I ask you to forgive me. Right where you are, you could ask him to save you. Or you could come in a moment. I'll be standing here at the front and say, Preacher, I need some help with this. And most people do need some help with this. We're here to help you. Say, so I really want the Lord in my life. You ought to come. And if you're saved, and in your mind, in your heart, you're thinking, there's no way I would ever do that, what Onesimus did. I would never, ever go back to that, knowing I was free from it. Even if God wanted me to, I wouldn't. Then right there is a problem. We need to surrender our will to God's will. Let him have his way in our life. Our Father, as we pray today, we thank you for your word. And Father, how it opens the door for us to see. See ourselves, not just see Philemon and the struggle he might have had with welcoming and receiving Onesimus. And to see Onesimus with the challenge of going back and facing the wrongs that he had left behind. God, help us to see ourselves. We want our lives to be yielded to you, truly surrendered to you. 